Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show I produce in Sydney, Australia where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 125. Today we are joined by the wonderful Neely Brosh who comes to give us an in-depth look at her latest solo album, Spectrum. It's an album with a very cool concept behind us which Neely explains in the show and uh, it's great to have her back. Of course Neely was on the show for episode number 119 which also featured Gretchen Men and Jennifer Batten. Now that show was uh, just ahead of a run of shows the three guitarists were about to embark on. It's nice to catch up about those gigs. As well, we find out about Neely's gigs with Death Clock, her work with Tony McAlpine, and her brother Ethan Brosh, a fantastic guitarist in his own right, and of course the deep dive into the Spectrum album. With Neely's permission, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of the album. Here's a little bit of a track called Primal Feels, and then we'll get straight into our interview. Neely Brush, welcome back to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for, for coming back. Last time we spoke was um, just a bit over a month ago, I guess. We were talking with Gretchen Men and Jennifer Batten as well about your run mm-hmm. of shows. That was um, that ended up being a great podcast. Yeah. And it's very cool to have you back to talk about um, your new album, which is just about to drop, and uh, lots of other great stuff going on with you. Hey, I saw some videos of the Batten Men brush gigs. It looked amazing. Tell me, tell me about that. Thank you. Yeah, we, you know, we ended up having, I mean, not that we thought we didn't, we wouldn't, but we ended up having such a great time. Like, you know, for us, it was just kind of like, let's get together and see if we uh, all like each other, like playing together and hanging out, you know, and at least from, from my perspective, it was, it was kind of like such a love fest, you know, like, just all our friends together doing this thing together and it was great we're really grateful for the support of the people that showed up and and hung out with us and you know and talked with us afterwards and it was a really really great vibe and we're really hoping to do more stuff soon yeah cool excellent excellent there's some um there's some good video taken too shout out to will uh who, who i saw a lot of his stuff that was that looked great thank you nearly nearly your your band was was smashing it that was so oh, good thanks. it was so good to see you in a live context doing your own stuff yeah you know i i i want to do as much of that as i can because it's it's such a different thing obviously whenever you're you're with your own band and your music but just real people and real energy coming from the band and not just the audience you know like for me it's it's a special treat every time and and uh you know just want to be doing more of it excellent excellent now you um you pretty much ran from that gig straight into the death clock gig mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is uh, so uh, a, 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 was a great show the the death clock for people who don't know i guess it's it's brendan small's band mm-hmm. it started as a fictional band uh, 
for Adult Swim, if, I've, if I'm um, recalling that correctly. And it's mm-hmm. ended up being a live band as well, Brendan's singing. And you were filling in for Mike Keneally. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Um, well, I mean, you know, for me, the Death Clock thing is very special just because, um, well, for a variety of reasons. But one is that Brendan Small went to Berkeley. And as someone who went to Berkeley, especially when I went there, was when uh, Metalocalypse was just huge on Adult Swim and among metal people in general. And, you know, so if you went to Berkeley and you were a metal kid in 2006, 2009 era, you know, it was just like you had to watch Metalocalypse and you were super into <laughs> Death Clock and all that, you know. Awesome. It was just kind of like our thing at the time. And uh, and then, you know, later on, it, it just became this thing where like the, the camp that I ended up being in through Tony McAlpine and, you know, the aristocrats and all the kind of people around that, you know, led me very to be close to, to the death clock people and just kind of be like, this is the coolest thing, but you know, it'll never be a reality for me, you know, because it's, the show's been unfortunately gone for so long and they're, you know, it's not like they, they don't tour regularly. So every once in a while, every few years, there'll be a, a show like that, like the, like the festival that, that we did. And I just never imagined that, you know, Mike would be unavailable and that Brendan would, would call me, you know, it's just, it's not something that I ever considered would ever be a thing. So it was very exciting from from the first moment, and I'm I'm so glad that like it finally happened. You know, it was it was a really crazy experience and a nutty nutty audience and people just <laughs> yeah. you know I, I I know how into it people are, but you forget until you really see it, and then it's just like wow. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's so cool. It's one of those things. I guess kind of like the band Gorillas as well. Yeah, it started out as a thing people would would dig it on TV or online or whatever, but um, for it to expand into you know, a live show, that's massive. So people would be like super stoked to, to see that live. Absolutely, yeah. And, man, it's so metal. Like it's so metal. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so brutal. It's like I, I, I love that part of it, but not only because, I mean, the music is so great. Like Brendan is such a great writer and like just such cool metal riffs and they're super fun to play too. But not only that, it's like because it's death clock and because it's already a joke, you know, then like aside from having cool metal riffs and everything, you also have this added dimension of it's not being taken too seriously and it's already a joke. It's already funny, you know, and like to me, that's like just the cherry on top of like, hey, we get to play this thing, but like it's really not even serious, you know, and so like what could be more fun than that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's sort of it's like a, a caricature, but it's bigger. It makes it bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, the guitars can be pointier, and the vibrato exactly, can be bigger. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> over the top, but not meant. You know, it's like, well, we're not the ones doing it. You know, it's just it's it's them. So unreal. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I hope they call you again. They've they've uh, you know, Brendan's got your phone number, so. Uh, you know the tunes. I mean, listen, far be it for me to like. I love Mike Keneally, you know, and it's his gig and everything. And but I, I would not, ne- you know, if that opportunity came up again, I would of course love to do it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Very good, very good. Hey, your your latest album, your third solo album, Spectrum, is just about to come out. Um, <laughs> I've had a listen. It is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you so much. I'm really glad you like it. It's a uh, it's a bit of a uh, a risk to me, this album, but 
I don't know. I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah, well, you call it you, when I when we spoke in the last interview, you said you know it's a concept album. Mm-hmm. Now, concept albums are usually around some sort of narrative, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yours is is more set around a musical concept, a musical progression. Right. Can you explain the the overall uh, idea behind it? Sure. So um, it's it's named Spectrum because it's you know meant to be a literal spectrum of genres that are kind of fusing from one song to the next throughout the album. So, you know, you start in in one place and you end up in in a completely uh different place. Excellent. And I loved it. That was that was so much of the fun of the record that it uh, took right. on a journey. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, because that that was the point and working on a record like this and trying something like this for the first time, it's it was so hard to know if it was really going to work even till like the very end, you know, like you're kind of like going based on a belief that like you're planning it the right way in your mind, you know? And so if, if that's the impression that comes to the listener, then it makes me feel like, okay, I did my job, you know? So it makes me feel good to hear that. Thank you for saying it. Oh, for sure. For sure. So the first couple of tracks, uh, Cartagena and Andy Lucent fantasy, Mm -hmm. um, really draw on Spanish music um, mm-hmm. finger style uh, you're playing a nylon string on those mm-hmm. and then I guess as the album progresses the electric guitar is introduced uh, right gradually and um, uh, more electronic instrumentation and by the end right. of the album um, mm-hmm. you have some really really meaty uh, fusion prog inspired instrumental mm-hmm. music too so I guess if you know those two points and then uh, the journey from from A to B um, right is really is really cool. When when did you get into Spanish music? I don't know. You know, like so. I mean, so much of it is like when I was writing these songs, a lot of it was like just to me felt like it was coming out of nowhere, and I was just like, I never wrote this kind of stuff before. I never felt like I listened to too much of it, or you know, any kind of extensive thing. I mean, at least with the Spanish stuff, my my like one really strong connection with it is I always loved what Steve Stevens was doing with it. Yeah. Right. Excellent. That kind of stuff. And yeah, so yeah. I know that like for me, I mean, it, that must be where that influence or the idea came from, you mm-hmm. know, for that kind mm-hmm. of music. But, but you know, the one thing that I will say is that I've watched a lot of like foreign movies and TV and that kind of thing. And so I think just listening to scores from around the world type of thing is where this probably really came from. Because it's, it's not like I, you know, I'm not trying to make it a point to sit and, like, make my listening catalog super versatile at, at all times to try to write records like this or anything like that, you know. But I think I've just, growing up in Israel and just, like, watching a bunch of different things, it's like all these different things just kind of got in there somehow, I guess without being able to point my finger to too much, you know. But maybe that's maybe that's a good thing, you know. I just when when all these songs started coming out, I, I really didn't know where it was coming from, but I was just like, well, the problem that I had at the time was, well, I like all this music, but it doesn't go on one record. So <laughs> that's kinda how I ended up here. Yeah, these influences being part of your part of your musical upbringing, that's I think that makes a, a natural and a Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an, an yeah. honest statement. It's not as if you think, okay, now I need a Spanish song, so let me learn some chops. You've got some stuff going on. 
Yeah, one of my friends asked me like if if I came up with the concept first and then the music or the music first and then the concept and and to me it seemed so obvious which one it was, but when I think about it now I'm like, you know what? If that was the task that somebody had come to me with, I don't know if I would have come up with it like that. I would have just been like, no way, like that's a that's way too hard, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like trying to do something like that on cue would have sounded impossible. But I mean, to me, like, that's that's the important thing about being an artist is, like, I would never want to stop myself from doing something different if that's where it ends up or, you know, doing something that's unusual because, you know, that's the music that I wrote and I want to see it through, you know. So for me, it was just more about finding a way that I can still articulate what I actually came up with and what my art is and make it so that it works in the context of my work in guitar I guess you know what I mean yeah 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 oh for sure that's cool I mean it's it's such an organic um process then and then when I guess you finalize your uh your running order um yeah the running order actually had been uh worked out for a long time that that to me was actually like the the hardest piece of the puzzle to to put together and there were like several ways that I thought about doing it and and I knew that it was going to affect the arrangements a lot because, you know, to me, like the thought about, okay, how do I go from one genre to the next with two genres that might have several similarities between them? I just kind of thought like, okay, well, you can, you can do it a bunch of different ways. You know, it can be like the drum sound, you know, or it could be like which instruments are going to take the electronic sound, which instruments will take the more metal sound, you know what I mean? Like sure, there, there were yeah. so many ways that I could have like put it together that I was like, okay, the hardest questions to answer were not just the, um, the sequence, but it's just like, what's going to be programmed, what's going to be real instrument and why, you know, and it, it all had to have like such a specific placement that when I was really trying to, um, to work out the order, even though there were several ways to do it, I was like, okay, I think this one both makes sense and kind of allows you to figure out where the rest of the pieces are going to go and what they're going to be, you know, because it just kind of guided the way through it. Cause there were just, you know, there were just a lot of options in how I could um, manipulate those similarities to get through the, the record, you know? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so yeah, the, so the Spanish tunes are the first opening two two tunes, I guess. The next couple of songs, um, "Circus Wedding" and then "Rachel in Paris," they, uh, I guess, they continue some European influence, kind of obvious in the the title, but also sonically, um, "Rachel in Paris" has got the accordion and, and mm-hmm. the violin. Um, right. How do you go writing for those instruments? I don't know. <laughs> See, that's the thing about it. It's that same thing where where it was like. I, yeah, I have, you know, formal musical training, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, I didn't sit in Berkeley learning how to arrange for, uh, for either one of those instruments. It's just another thing where it's like, well, here's all this music that came from, I'm not sure where, you know, all mishmash of, of influences. And in my mind, it's like, well, that's, that's what I hear. It should be this instrument or this instrument. So really what I was doing is I, I, I program everything and I uh, give the demo to um, my producer, Alex Argento and the other players and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just all I could really go by was just telling the 
violinist and the accordion player, like, look, I don't really know. I don't know your instrument. I don't know your ranges that well. I was going by instinct and, and just kind of like listening to what's in my head and you're the player and let me know if, you know, you need to manipulate this in any way because I don't know how it sits on your instrument, you know? And I think I just got lucky, you know? Uh, but I mean, in general, it's, it's not like, I don't think I was writing anything that was like super complicated for them. And I was just like, well, I mean, it's mostly melodic stuff in, in kind of a, you know, middle place in the, uh, I want to say spectrum, but I just, I just mean like range wise, you know? So I was just like, okay, you know, it's probably pretty safe, you know? So it ended up being fine, but it's not something, it's another thing that I wasn't thinking consciously about. It was just like, okay, I ended up here somehow. How do we make this work now? You know, the tune solace moving, moving along the order, probably it's, probably going to make sense if we talk through in order i guess as well as mm-hmm. um that being the listening thing actually when you when you sent me the album you said you know make sure you listen in in order which right which sort of makes sense but um yeah and i think in our last interview you said you know you can actually play the record backwards and i thought you were joking but, right um, <laughs> which was a good joke but it actually works as well in the reverse given the the progression so that's that's i cool. mean you know you know what's funny about it is like I, in a way, I do mean it as a joke, but only because I haven't actually tried it. Um, but, like, in theory, it should work. And the reason why I came up with it was because, you know, um, I, I realize that I'm starting with a bunch of songs that, like, don't have what my current fans might consider to be super, uh, you know, my kind of playing yeah, that they're used to hearing. Them, you know? sure. yeah, and so... Yeah. So part of me was like, well, I don't know how that's going to register to people. So maybe I should just, I should tell the people that are expecting shred from me to just go to the end and just start there and they might just be happier. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that's how I came up with it. I was like, well, how do I get away with there being so many new things on this record? You know, like people will just get bored and be like, okay, I'm like not even in the fifth track yet. And I haven't heard like any heavy distorted guitar you know so i'm just like okay i'll just start in the end you'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) it works for everyone sorry it works for everyone that way oh hopefully i hope i hope so you know like again it's like you try to make the record that you know you think is your strongest statement and then like everything after that is like it's out of your hands you know it's i i'm confident with what i had to say and and you know, people can listen to it or not listen to it. Sure. So I think at the stage of your career, though, this is your third solo album. You're, you're well known for what you do, and you've also, um, yeah, you've worked, you've done some great um, band projects as well. It seems like you're in a really good place where you can do your own thing and do the Death Clock gig or do um, some of the other side side gigs you've done, which mm-hmm. I might we might talk about later on. But um, so by now, if you can't release the album that you you want to release it's um or the i guess the inverse is this is the best time for you to be putting out this uh bold statement i reckon that's fantastic uh well that's i mean i hadn't really thought about it that way but that's that you might be right i mean that's that's great you know um but you know for me it wouldn't have stopped me you know what i mean yeah yeah sure i i I don't because i i don't know it's just not 
it's not what I'm about, I guess, you know, like to me, regardless of the circumstances, I don't think that I could put out an album that like, I feel like, well, it has to be this because this is what's going on right now, or this is what I think I need to do to, you know, get more ears on it or whatever. Yeah, it's gotcha. just, that's just not me, you know? So, but yeah, I don't know. Cool. Um, Solace was the next track I was going to mention. That's got such a, a tasty electric tone. What are you, what are you playing on that? Um, I'm using my uh, AS93 semi-hall. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to be like super specific about that tone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think we got close. I think we got close. Yeah. I don't know. I'm always like, I'm after the fact, like very... Uh, um, judgy about my lead tone, but uh, it's one of those things where you like you try not to be too attached to it and just be like, okay, it's, it's on there. This is what live is for now to like, you know, feel like you want to make up for it. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm happy with it. I think I think it was like, yeah, like every time I I write a song with like, you know, changes in that realm. I always like joke to myself, like, yeah, I went to Berkeley. <laughs> that's like, that's my I went to Berkeley song, you know? <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Hey, there's some cool whammy bar stuff on um, retractable intent. That's. Oh, thank you. How'd you develop that stuff? I'm always interested in people's whammy influences. Um, you know what? I'll start with saying that, like, I'm not, I don't consider myself like a whammy bar player really at all. It's something that like came into my playing so late. Um, and I don't even really know why. I think, I think it was the kind of thing where I didn't know how everybody was doing the cool whammy tricks and at the time didn't really have a way to, to, to find out how, or, or maybe the right bridge or the right guitar or whatever, you know? And so for a while, I just kind of like almost ignored the fact that it was there and just thought like, okay, I'll develop my vibrato and my intonation and like other ways to, to convey feel and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then I, I don't know. I mean, I guess just like over the years, like having to figure out like, you know, whatever situation I was in, like whether it was with Tony or like when I, uh, w- when Steve Vai's band, like they had asked me to to do a clinic with them and, and pretend to be Steve for them, you know, and, and they were, and to them it was just like, oh, you know those songs. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> sweet, sweet of you to assume, but no, you know, so like sometimes it's like being in the situation where it's just like, okay, now I have to learn how to do this, you know? So mm-hmm. to me, it's not, it's not something that I, that I feel is like a huge part of my playing, but I, I guess I've just approached it like anything else that I approach on the instrument. Like, how do I use this thing to convey a certain feeling and like keep it in tune and, you know, yeah, give it yeah. some umph that, you know, I think sounds nice or whatever. And so I'm always just kind of focusing on on listening for those variables. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, to me, it was just kind of like, I'm not trying to do X with this or whatever. It's just like, this is how I hear this line or this is this is how I hear what I think the music is asking me to do. Sure, and so sure. it's all it's all driven from that. And and it's the same with like you know the Spanish stuff because it's like I don't really play nylon string, you know, but I was like I'm not going to I'm not going to use a pick because I don't want to phone these songs in. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time kind of 
getting my finger picking up to a point where I can record it. I don't know if I'm doing it quote unquote right or wrong. I don't know how proper my technique is because it's, it's not what I studied or where I spent my time, but it's just like, okay, if it's good enough to fake it, to, to sell the song, that's what we're going for on this record. Sure, so, sure. so yeah, I guess that's, it's, it's funny because every question that you ask, I feel like I have the same answer, but I guess it's truly how this record came about. You know what I mean? It's like nothing that I was really trying to do on purpose yeah, yeah. and then having to just find a bunch of solutions to things, I guess. So that's cool. Um, you mentioned your vibrato. I won't, um, I won't make you tell me how you developed your vibrato then, but I, oh. I dig your vibrato. That, um, that's really noticeable something like on um on a desert deja or or any of the tracks really it's very considered which i always love hearing um i like how you just hang a note and then give it the wobble um mm -hmm. and approach it at different speeds it's it's not something every guitar player considers but i think the great ones really pay attention to the nuances available thanks um, um I, that's probably like the best compliment that you could give me uh but it's another thing that I kind of, I felt like I came to late, you know, that and, and intonation too. Like I felt like I was doing so much live playing before I realized how out of tune my bends were and how all over the place they were. And it's like, <laughs> as soon as I realized that it was like, you can't unsee it, you know, what I mean? you can't unhear it, you know? And then I, I think I got like over obsessed with, with it too, you know, because I, then I started like missing them just because I'm overthinking them or whatever. But it, I just, as soon as I realized those things, I almost felt like just embarrassed in retrospect, like, wow, like, I was like, why didn't anybody tell me, you know, <laughs> and then like, well, we tried to tell you, but like, you thought this was more important, you know, <laughs> or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's another thing I don't feel like I have a really great answer for. But with my vibrato, I remember that like the the slow bendy approach, let's say, was something that like I think I'd figured out how to do kind of naturally, but I didn't realize that I wasn't doing that the whole time, or like, I only used it on certain occasions, and then I felt like I kind of had this very like fast annoying vibrato on everything else, and it, it was another thing that I noticed down the road, and I was just like, wow, well. I kind of knew what I was doing. I should have just kept doing the, the one thing. I just had no awareness of, of what was going on. So maybe it was that sort of thing of kind of figuring out what I liked in my own playing after a while and how to shed the other stuff that wasn't serving me as well. And then I guess also, you know, just being around a lot of other guitar players and playing with people like Tony McAlpine or whatever, like there's just so many things that happen to your playing naturally that, you don't really think about because you're just in that environment and you're, you know, growing a lot in, in those moments. And then you just kind of look back and you're like, Oh, this whole thing about my playing changed without me really thinking about it or trying, but cool. You know, like sometimes it is just natural. That's the, the best way. But I also, you know, I really only had to start figuring out what I was doing there when I was teaching a lot, you know, because I would get those questions from, from students or I would have to explain how I'm doing what I'm doing. And then I realized that I don't know how to explain or I'm not always aware of what I'm doing. So that's the time where I really started like kind of researching my own playing and, and kind of figure out if there was a method to it or, or what I'm doing just to, 
you know, show it to somebody else. So I think I'm now is like the time where I, I really know what's going on because I've been forced to pay attention to it from every angle. But again, it's like, it took a long time. I feel like, you know, Sure, I guess that's part of the progression, and and teaching is such a, a good mirror for that. You mm-hmm. you quite for a famous, lot of things. Oh, definitely. You you quite famously were one of the youngest uh, members of the Berkeley teaching faculty after you graduated from there. Kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it, I was teaching the the summer programs there, um, and I every every time every time that I see that credit, I'm always like careful about the wording okay, you know okay, what I mean? fair but but yeah but yeah yeah um, still the summer school there's pretty cool it's it's quite well known as a as a, a great thing for guitar players to get out to yeah it is i mean you know it's it the summer programs are great they're they really give like the kids a, a taste of what real berkeley is like type of thing you mm-hmm. know nice but, uh, nice yeah Hey, moving through the record, so I mentioned Desert Deja and Gentrification, which is probably the best name for an instrumental guitar track ever. <laughs> I know that, like, I I, uh, I posted, like, a small section of that song at some point uh-huh. and, and revealed the title, and somebody was like, that was, like, the least genty thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and then, like, somebody somebody else, like, responded, and they were like, I think she meant it ironically, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's it's more like uh, it's another song where to me it's like it's really just part of such a bigger picture too. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the seven string out for for bits of this record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For pretty much, you know, the entire second half, I think it okay. seems probably. Yeah, I I don't. You know what? It's like those things I forget so quickly, like which guitar I used for what, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I think when I'm recording, it's like one of those things where it feels like a fever dream after you did it. And Uh you're just like, that was such an intense, like focus. Now I don't remember anything that happened, but I guess it (laughs) happened, you know, or I guess I sat there and edited it, you know, it's like, okay, well, those takes are there. So I must've played them, but. (laughs) Primal Feels is the, was the track with the, the big video. We spoke about that last time round mm-hmm. um, with the dancers and such a great video. Um, the, the tune is, is killer itself. The melody struck me as being very vocal. They sound like they could have been um, vocal songs that you, you arranged for guitar, like, you know, to my ear. How do you develop melodic ideas? Nowadays, you know, obviously the, the hope and the ideal is that, you know, I'm going to hear it in my head and it's just going to, uh, you know, I'm going to build the rest of it around it. But, and, and that's how this, most of this record, if not all of it really kind of happened, which I'm, I'm really happy about, but you know, it took until my third album to really like put that to, to super good use. But what I did a lot with my last album with the matter of perception is that I mean, I think that was, that was the goal with that, you know, to me, it's always like, I always want the melodies to, to seem more vocal than they are, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like it wasn't working with the last one as well as, as I had wanted to. But what I was doing a lot of that at that point was research, kind of researching a lot of melodies that I had liked. And like, I kind of just made this list of songs I wish I wrote kind of thing. Uh-huh. And then I just went 
and I tried to search for any common denominator between those songs. Like I, I just, you know, because I know that I like things that are hooky and catchy, but I also know that like there are certain things that get stuck in your head, but you hate them, you know? Sure. <laughs> so just, just them being catchy might not be uh, the whole picture to me. And I just, I wanted to see like, okay, why am I attracted to certain things? You know, like, is it the chord progression? Like, what about those things, like, kind of catch my attention more than than others, you know? So I did a lot of, like, looking into, like, the harmonic content of those things and, and the, the form of the melodies, you know, like, what makes them catchy, like, how they're built. And, you know, I, I tried to, like, kind of cheat my way into figuring out how to write hooks, basically. And it you know, it doesn't really work. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you understand maybe how to do it, uh, intellectually, but it doesn't mean that you can do it. You know, like you can understand how somebody's riding that bike, but you have to get on the bike and figure out how to ride it. So I think it was like one of those things where I learned a lot from it and it gave me a lot of like troubleshooting ideas and, and ways around things and a, and a greater understanding of, of how things are put together but I still had to like fight my way through practicing it, you know, through my last records until I got to the point where like more stuff was coming out. And this time I was like happy with it, you know, because mm -hmm. all the stuff on my last album, I was just I just felt like I was forcing into place, you know, as as hard as I could. So, yeah, I really tried to stay out of this album's way, so to speak, you know. What what kind of tunes are on your your hook expedition what, what what stuff do you listen to um i don't know what it, it was like kind of all over the gamut like it had a bunch of disney songs in them you uh -huh. know and and like pop music and but then it had like manhattan by eric johnson you know and things like that sure, yeah. and so there were there were a lot of things that i that i learned you know like the just the form of the melodies and how like it can be that or it can be Disney and it'll like have the same kind of form, you know, or the same way that it's built. And like you, you do like figure some things out, you know, but in actuality, it's like there's always going to be that X factor. And that's why music is music and art and not complete science. You know what I mean? Because you can't really cheat your way out of everything. It still has to be art. So sure, sure, you know. One one fun little bit of ear candy for guitar players in at the end of Primal Fields, there's just that solo guitar lick. Um, mm -hmm. So you get a good idea of your tone outside of the track right. or, you know, separate right, from the actual right. track. Man, there's a lot of mid-range in there, which totally makes sense for it to scream mm -hmm. over all the other instruments. But it's um, it's cool to hear that that isolated. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Thank you. I, I always... God, I get so insecure when it's isolated like that. I'm just like, oh my God, is that what my tone really sounds like? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I feel you though. You know, it's it's always context is king, you know? Yeah, sure, for sure. What do you, um, what were you tracking electric guitars through? Like amps, um, amps I was using my uh, PVJSX head mm -hmm. and uh, with an Ignator Tormaster cab. It's a two by 12. Um, and then I, I used the EP booster pedal in front to just kind of round out the tone. I actually like, I mean, it's got one knob and it's dialed all the way down because yeah, yeah. I'm not looking for like a gain boost or anything. It's just 
adds this like character to the tone that really kind of rounds it out and, and makes it big and full and nice. So um, that's kind of my always on pedal for that. Uh-huh. Cool, cool. That's great, great tone. So you're using the JSX for um, you're using the dr- the drive channels as well for the for your big yeah. lead sound. Yeah, I mean, I actually I used it for um for all the guitars. Well, I mean, <laughs> except for the nylon string, but like sure. all the electric guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now I know you've we've talked about you using your head rush live. Did did that right. make it to the record at all? Um, I thought that it might, but you know, even some of the stuff for you know more of the electronic stuff like gentrification or whatever like a lot of what happened was i i built the the sounds on the head rush first and kind of figured out what i'm going for mm-hmm. and then i actually like went back to I, um the jsx and then used the uh the whammy pedal on a lot of that stuff so i kind of like rebuilt what i was doing on the head rush uh in, in a more of like a tangible actual pedals and gear way just to, to to keep the consistency of how I was recording everything and 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 just the you know the colors of the of the tones and stuff and and the other reason for that too is because you know I was looking for ways to make this album as uniform as possible because it's so vast so any way that could keep kind of some sort of a running theme for me I thought like, okay, maybe this is a good thing to jump on, you know? Yeah, cool. That's really interesting um, you say that because, yeah, because I guess the tracks are, there's a, there's a breadth of style, obviously, um, right. to keep some tonal footprints similar. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I, yeah. I hear the other side of the coin by some players too. They say, oh, I try to get a different tone for every song. Right, um, yeah. But the material might be, have more of a stylistic camp it all sits in perhaps so to hear your the the opposite feels for the to suit the different material that's really cool yeah i mean to me i just feel like you know that's my voice you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like if i if i was a singer like that's what you'd get you know (laughs) there there would be no you know like how how you can get different tonal qualities maybe but it's always going to be your voice so to me, it's just kind of like I've very much been the if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mm-hmm. person when it comes sure. to gear and tone and that kind of stuff. Just because I otherwise I just I feel overwhelmed with choices and then I feel like I still end up with the same kind of tone anyway, because I'm a- any time that I've ever really understood how that stuff works was from a hands on approach of actually, you know, changing the knobs and doing everything and and like just listening to the tone that I hear in my head. So I've kind of always ended up kind of in the same place, even with different gear and stuff. So to me, it was just kind of like, okay, well, maybe that's just what it is. Maybe it's, this is my voice on the instrument and this is how I've learned to work with it and use it to emote the way that I do. And that's the tone and I need to do that, you know, or or whatever it is. It, It doesn't mean that it can't be, changed or or have variations or anything like that but like i just i've I've tried to go a different route and i still seem to end up there so i was just like okay let's see how i can make this work for me sound like (laughs) yeah it's cool it's very cool have you got any plans to tour the album i hope so yeah and i hope to do more stuff with uh you know with jennifer and, and gretchen and get more of these you know more of the new tunes into the set you know 
We, we mentioned um, some of the other plays. You've mentioned some of the other plays you've worked with. Tony McAlpine being mm-hmm. being a name you, you've mentioned a few times. Tell me about working with him and, and what you take from from that experience. Um, well, you know, Tony is somebody that I'm always going to be so grateful for because in the, he really took a, a chance on me, you know, when when nobody did before, really, and such a tall order with that kind of music and just the amount of trust that he had to have in me to be able to bring that when I was 22, it was, like, very scary for me, you know? Like, I just kind of felt like... I didn't, I didn't believe in it as much as he did. And he was like, so sure. And to me, it's just like, okay, I hope you're right. You know? <laughs> but but it, I mean, it all worked out and everything, but sure. I, I'm just yeah. like, I'm so, I'm so grateful to him for that because I wouldn't have pushed myself as far, you know, like he really, he saw something that I couldn't see at that time, but it's just kind of, like I said before, like when you're around that level of, musicianship you just you're in that situation where you have to sink or swim you know so even if you feel like you're not doing super well or whatever like when you're doing it enough you just get better just because you're there so that's that's the biggest gift that anybody could have could have given me Uh you know and and not even necessarily because he was doing anything you know Mm -hmm. it's just like being in that environment and and just learning the the life lessons of actually doing the work you know and and uh it's it's not as easy when you're doing something on skype or or you know you're sending tracks back and forth or you know it's it's not the same thing as like just playing live with the same people a lot and like really learning what they do sure was he your gateway into seven string guitar yeah actually that's a that's a really uh um it's it's great that you, that you noticed that like most people have not come up with that but uh yeah i mean and that's the instrument that i needed to audition for him and oh, wow. yeah he was like well i mean he was saying like oh you know just it's okay like just use a 6 and like transpose everything like an octave up or whatever and I like started trying to do that, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is <laughs> this is so much more confusing this way, and like seems like double the work. And it's just like you're working extra hard to to make something sit in a way that it's not meant to, you know. So it's just kind of like you're just forcing the puzzle pieces. But sure. so I I realized I'm like, okay, let me borrow a seven string from a friend and like play this the way it's supposed to be, and then like pretend that I'm not looking at the thing, so I'm hitting the right string and all that. But, uh, <laughs> But no, I mean, I probably would not have come to it if it was if it weren't for him. Uh-huh. Um, and then it just became my instrument, and, and and you know became so natural to me, visually and in every other way. And and then it was everybody else that kind of started calling me like, oh, Neely Brosh is a seven string player or whatever. And like to me, I never even thought of it like that. I was just like, well, here's a gig, and here's the instrument that I need for the gig, and that's what I'm doing right now, and it's gonna affect my music and influence it in ways but it doesn't mean that this is now what I am you know for good or whatever I still you know I'm a guitar player so of course I'm going to be playing six string and then everybody acts so surprised when they see me with a six string I'm like wow I didn't think it was uh, such a such a big deal but uh yeah yeah man I own some yeah. of those too that's what you're saying <laughs> yeah I mean it's funny like I think 
I don't know why it is. I'm not, I don't, I don't mean it in a bad way or anything, but it's, it's amazing how much people feel like they need to attach some sort of like classification to stuff when it comes to the guitar community. Like this person is in this pile and this person's in this pile. And it's, they, they like look for associations like, Oh, you sound like Joe Satriani or you sound like John Petrucci or, you know, it's just like, what is it about the human mind that like seeks to, to put people into categories, you know, when that person never really thinks of it that way. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point. And, um, I don't know, maybe it's the visibility thing. People remember you. They first saw you doing a YouTube clip when you're shredding and then that's who they that's who you are to them. I don't I don't know. It yeah. is weird. I mean, in part, that's why I love this record as well, because you're you're showing all these different flavours. Um, when we were talking with Gretchen and, and Jennifer, they've done wildly diverse records. When Gretchen said her next record's gonna be a solo or have a lot yeah. of solo guitar, I thought, man, that's great, right. you know. People mixing yeah. it up. Um, I mean, on the other hand, ACDC have made the same record for 40 years, and that's okay, too. That's great. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with, like, sounding like yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I never am one to complain about the bands that have made the same record over and over because that's who they are and that's what they should be doing. You know what I mean? Like, if it's still good, you can't. I can't argue against it. You know what I mean? So I'm not one of those people that have a beef with that or by any means. Sure. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to like, I'm also not trying to change things up for the sake of changing things up. Yeah, but yeah. like at the same time, I'm glad that, you know, we care about, you know, growing as artists and that's how we end up there. I mean, I, you know, Gretchen is somebody that I'm like, I'm not saying like I, I can I can speak for her, but I know she would agree with me on this point. So I'll, I'll include her in it. But mm-hmm. like, I've it's it's something that we've related on a lot and have talked about. And it's just that kind of thing where it's like, well, if you end up in that place, because you're just trying to get better, then at least it's a it's an organic way of ending up there and not for any intention. Like, you know, I need to be different or I need to do this or, you know, whatever. So I mean, it's that's what we need, you know. If if the guitar art form is gonna see see the light of more days, that's where we need to go, right? I mean, people have to be doing new things to to keep people uh, engaged and interested. Yeah, hundred percent. Hey, I recently heard your brother Ethan um, doing a guest solo on um, Michael Sweet's latest record. Oh yeah. I spoke to yeah. Michael Sweet about that. He was. He was digging Ethan's playing. Um, tell me yes. about tell me about your relationship with him because you've done you've gigged together. Obviously, he's your brother. What's what's um what's the age difference between you guys? Uh, nine years. Okay, so when yeah. when you got onto into guitar, he was already a fair way along, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's the reason that I wanted to play guitar and everything. You know, I uh, I, I always loved music. You know, but but growing up around him and and my older brother, we were a fan. We were four kids, so there's two brothers that are older than him as well. But okay. you know, just being around the kinds of music that I wouldn't have otherwise probably if I didn't have older brothers, you know. So it's without Ethan, I would not have ended up at least in this genre, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if if with guitar at all, which probably not. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was always helpful. Like every 
every step of the development that I went through, whether I was in high school or college or, you know, it was like so helpful for me to know that like somebody else had gone through the same thoughts and same doubts and same kind of thing, you know? Um, and if I didn't have that, that place to go to, to, to ask or, you know, or get the, uh, example from or the advice from, I mean, I think I would have been like, quite frankly, much more lost, you know, so I'm definitely grateful for that. And that's not everybody's story. You know, I'm, I'm aware of that. But uh, I, I was lucky to, to always be around it and have kind of like a background understanding in the art of a shred guitar, I guess. <laughs> you know, it was helpful. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you've a couple of years ago, you did the Cirque du Soleil, Michael Jackson thing. What that um, that looked intense because you were doing like show after show and it's oh god yeah ten shows a week ten shows yeah. a week and it's obviously you just on stage rocking out you there's choreography there's crazy um, costumes yeah there's a and... lot of stuff going on yeah <laughs> what do you what do you take from that into your own nearly brush um, career you know I think <laughs> much like many things in this interview it's like so many things that show up that I wasn't thinking about you know like of course like that kind of gig like it's so much about the stage presence and and that kind of thing and when you're doing that many shows you're so on autopilot you're not really thinking about it that much anymore and so you think you're gonna go back and like play your other stuff and you're just gonna stand there the same way that you did before and like you don't really and it's just you're not even really trying anymore like it might not look exactly the same as like throwing down on that gig but it's like it just changes how your body reacts to those situations I guess you know so that kind of stuff feels a lot easier to me than it did before um of course taken into a context of like technically challenging music all the time you're again probably not going to go as hard but but like it's it's I don't have like the same view on it that I did before you know like I can feel looser on stage and and not even think about it just because I've done like 700 shows with them you know so it's like just don't think about it anymore and nearly 2019 has been pretty amazing for, for you what is you. what does 2020 look like you know I don't know <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I really, I want to be doing as much stuff with my music as, as I can. And, um, yeah, you know, be open to, to other things. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've done a lot of stuff that's kind of all over the place in a way. And, and in a, a lot of times that, that is what keeps me happy. You know, I, I don't want to get bored and, and that kind of thing. But, um, my one, and this is like on a total personal note, you know, but like my difficulty with jumping in and doing different gigs is that like I get attached and then I'm the only person like leaving right away. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah. just from like a personal level, like I really want to find a sort of gig home that's more longer term for me, um, both musically and, and also like from a camaraderie standpoint, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know those are things that like, you know, you don't know when they're going to happen or how they're going to look or who it's going to be with or anything like that. So I, you know, just try to keep kind of an open mind and open approach to that because I love people and, and my peers. And I think it 
could look a variety of different ways, but I just, you know, hope for something a little bit more, uh, kind of a permanent home along with my, uh, with my solo stuff, which okay. is already kind of, you know, I'm lucky that I have a, a, a band that I love and everybody's, you know, we're all friends and we all like each other outside of it and everything too. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, one piece of the puzzle that's a big one for me, but I would love to find the other one as well. Yeah, wow. I, I love that you mentioned that. The One of the beautiful things about music is connecting with people on a stage or in a rehearsal exactly. room. Yeah. And listening to each other and responding and all that stuff is it's the special stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? Even even off the stage too, I mean, it's it's often said maybe, but even still doesn't feel like enough. It's like people get hired because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them and you want to be working with people who are cool. You know, you want to be working with your friends and, and there are so many great musicians out there. There's no shortage of them, you know, so it might as well be someone who you like hanging out with, you know, and there's so many more hours of that than there are on stage. So, and, and, you know, even beyond that, like, to me, that is, that is the music, you know, like that's where it comes from. It, it comes from the personality and the souls of, of those people. So it's, I want to start there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, wow. um, I don't know. I just think it affects everything, or at least for me, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I know I, I see myself operating in a different wavelength under those circumstances. And when you compare it to the other alternative too, you're just kind of like, Oh, why would I put myself in that situation, you know? Sure, sure. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So for me, it's an important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you'd be open to joining a like a band or getting something together? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 open to a bunch of different things. We'll see what what comes up, you know. Awesome. Well, whatever it is, Neely, it's going to be rad if you're involved, no doubt. Thank so. you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, we'll watch this space, I guess, but um. Yeah, cool. Neil, it's been unreal catching up again. And um, Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. It's It's been awesome uh, having these uh, continued conversations. Cool. And um, congratulations on Spectrum. So we should say that comes out December 20. Um, yes. And pre-orders are available. But I, mm-hmm. by the time this releases, it's pretty much going to land on the day of the release. But um, Oh, awesome. Cool. All right. Well, Nelly, thank you again. It's been uh, it's been excellent. Thank and you, Matt. It's much, been super fun. Much continued success to you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right. There you go. Nelly Brosh. So great to have her back on the show. And the album is Spectrum out today. Make sure you check that out. Thanks for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling. I will catch you next time. Bye now.